0: The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice And be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. And for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants. And your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. And establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless this time. Father, this is indeed your word. We thank you that you are kind enough to speak to us. Oh Lord, I pray that even through my feeble lips that you might be pleased to speak to us this morning, speak to our hearts, that we might hear your voice even but for a moment. Would you give us a heart of wisdom? Would you train us that we might live lives that are pleasing to you, glorifying to you, in which we glorify and enjoy you forever? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we come to this period of time where we prepare to advance our calendars from one year to the next, many of us use this opportunity each year to as a time of reflection. And it is a, a wise and good thing for us to do so. I would argue that it is a way in which we can love the Lord our God with all of our minds if we do it wisely. For our God is... Lord of the calendar. Time is His construct. He is the one who created days, days marked by day and night, each one unique, each one a separate unit of time. And He, in His wisdom and beauty, uh, organized those individual days into cycles and patterns. He formed weeks out of days, months out of weeks and days. He assembled years out of months, and there is seasons each year. There's consistency and regularity even in the midst of the individual unique days that he gives to us. Each one is created by him, and he's created us consistent with this construct of time that he has formed. He's given us limited energy so that we live in the the confines of a day. We have these many lives each day where we are renewed in the morning and we fade in the evening and each day is a reset in one sense of our lives. And yet there is a continuous Connection from day to day, because the Lord has given us memories, memories to remember one day to the next. And yet, in His, in His uh, majestic wisdom, our memories fade, which can be sad for happy memories, and yet also a blessing, because memories must be renewed, reinvigorated. They must sometimes be reinterpreted, corrected over time as we grow, as our experiences. Grow as we experience more things, learn more things. And so our God commands us, He commands us over and over through Scripture to remember, to reflect, to reevaluate. He established the Sabbath day as one of those blessings where He said, Remember the Sabbath day. To keep it holy. Set it apart as a day of worship, a day of honoring to the Lord where we reset in the week and are reminded of God's grace and celebrate the gifts that we have in Christ Jesus. He gave the people of God the, the feasts of Israel to remember God's faithfulness throughout the story of redemption. While New Year's Day, the end of one calendar year to the next, isn't a holy day, we can see it as an opportunity that our God has given to us to reflect On his grace to us, reflect on who we are before him that we might live with wisdom. And of course, there's different ways that we reflect at this time of year. Some of us, many of us reflect by looking back, looking back at what God has done in our lives in the past or all that's accomplished in our family, we established a, uh, a tradition several years ago. What we call the year-in review, where we get everybody from the family together and we list out all the things that we can remember that happened in our lives or that affected us, and we write them all down so that we can remember in future years and go back. And it's kind of fun. Maybe your family has something like that. We also tend to uh, reflect by looking ahead, considering what what the next year might come about. We set our goals. Uh, we have our personal New Year's resolutions, we have our corporate goals or our family goals, targets of hope, what we hope to accomplish and achieve in the coming year. But I will put before you that there's one other way that we can reflect in this way at this time of year that can be really beneficial for us from a spiritual standpoint, and that is to consider the shortness of our lives. Consider the short span of these fleeting lives that we have been given and allow that to help us evaluate how we must live on a daily basis before the Lord. And this psalm is one of my favorites for helping us with that. Um, As the psalmist says in verse 12, it says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom, and that's what we want to do today is we want to have the Lord teach us how to number our days so that we might gain a heart of wisdom. And that's where I'm going to focus, this verse 12. And there's two parts to this, this, uh, this prayerful petition. And the first is just this request. Teach us to number our days. And what God's Word tells us emphatically and clearly is that Our days are numbered. Each one of us has a fixed, a finite, a set amount of days. We are told that God has set the limits for the numbers of our days. Jesus told us that we cannot add even a single hour to our days. They are fixed by God. And as such, dear friends, time is our scarcest resource. It is our most precious commodity. It is not something that we can acquire more of. We have only a fixed amount of time. We are constantly spending it. We can't stop it. Time ticks on moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day, year by year. It ticks on. And Scripture also, when it reflects on the length of our days, it always speaks of them in terms of Shortness. Let me know how fleeting my life is. Mankind is but a breath, it says, like a mist, or like it says in our, our psalm, the, like, like grass that, that flourishes in the morning, renewed in the morning, f- fades in the evening. It's but a, but a moment that passes by. And this uh, psalm is one of the few places in Scripture where there's a definite number that is given to the length of days. He says um, the years of our life, this is verse 10, the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. 70 or reason by strength, 80. Of course, that's not a definite number. But it's awfully close, even 4,000 years after this psalm was written. And it's not definite. In this past year, our family uh, honored... Andrea's grandmother, who had lived to uh, just past her 99th birthday. The Lord had given her um, a very long life, a very robust and joyful life, and a blessing to her family. At the same time, we also mourned the loss of the daughter of one of our dear friends who died unexpectedly, suddenly, and sadly at the age of 24. 24 teaching swimming lessons, and something happened, perhaps a seizure, and she ended up uh, drowning, being under the water too long, and the sh- her life was revived for uh, about 24 hours. She quickly passed away. So it's not an absolute number. We don't know the number, and yet if you look at life expectancy tables today, even 4,000 years later, you'll see somewhere in the 60 to 70 to 80 year range it is remarkably close but the point is that our lives are fleeting even 70 years 80 years is not long you just experienced one you're about to experience another tick that off the list your, your life is fleeting the time is going away and so we're taught to number our days He says, teach us to number our days. It's a a pretty remarkable statement if you think about it. Um, Moses probably wrote this psalm while the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. And as Charles Spurgeon said, um, he lived to see, Moses would have seen men and women dying all around him. He lived among funerals. And God has placed in our before us so much evidence of the shortness of our lives, the, 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 the tenuousness of our lives, that um, it should be obvious how fleeting our lives are. We shouldn't need to be taught, right? And yet, how true is it? Um, in many ways, I think this past year, the past couple of years, for us here at Zion has seemed like a season of death. So many of us have experienced the loss of loved ones, and we've seen those um, that we love go to be with the Lord, or simply die. And um, part of the blessing of going to memorials—one of the big blessings for us, for us as worshipers—is we are confronted with the reality of our mor- morality or mortality, and and to To say, uh, one day, at some point, this will be me. My loved ones will be coming to celebrate uh, my life and to honor that life and to hear of God's faithfulness from generation to generation, to be reminded of that. And many of us have been confronted with that reality over this past year, and yet how fleeting it is, How how quickly we forget how fleeting our lives are. God has made us for eternity. He's instilled a desire and an intent for eternal life in our hearts, and everything within us screams for immortality. And even with all the evidence that we have in front of us, we blind ourselves to it or we numb ourselves to it, or we hide from it, and we amuse ourselves so we don't have to stop and take a look at it. So, beloved, even for us, as we live in the present reality of funerals, are we numbering our days? And, of course, the Lord is the proper person to teach us to number our days, for a few different reasons. For one, because he, he sees our mortality, our, our the, the finite nature of our being. We, we have a short span, and yet he is eternal. He is, he is the God who, who is the creator of time. He is the one who has created us. He is the one who has no beginning. As the psalm says, "...you've been our dwelling place in all generations." Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You notice what it says: "Everlasting, everlasting, you are God." That's God. That's the name that He gave Himself. I am, not I was there. I am. Before the mountains were brought forth, I am God. Before time existed. I am, before you were conceived, before you were born, after you die, I am, from all generations. He understands time because he made it. He understands us, and he is the one that has set the limits. And that's the second thing why we, know we should be taught by him, because he's the one who has established the boundaries. He's the one that has given us life as a gift. Children are a blessing from the Lord, and the Lord has blessed people around us, family members, with us, by his grace. He has given us life, caused us to be conceived by his power. He gave us the day of birth. He allowed us to be born alive, and every day has been a gift since. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Each and every day of life that we have is a blessing and a gift from God Himself. And He has established the day where He will say, Return, O children of man, and return us to dust. And each and every one He knows that it is a gift for us. So He should teach us, He should be the one to teach us. And finally, because He's experienced time perfectly. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, the very son of God, the eternal I am, to take on human flesh, to enter into his creation, to experience time, to experience the fleetingness, the affliction, and the pain of death for us. So we need to be taught by him. There's a purpose for being taught, not just so that we would know the number, but he says, "Teach us the number of days that we may gain a heart of wisdom, that we might be wise, that we might know how to live in a way that is pleasing to Him." So, what would the Lord teach us? Well, a couple of things that come to mind. The first is that sense time that we have is a gift from, a, from the Lord. Since our life and every breath that we have is a gift from the Lord, and since he is the creator of all things, he created all things for his glory, even us, and the gifts that he gives are for his glory, we know that time does not belong to us. We are mere stewards of the time that he has given to us. There is no such thing as me time. It all belongs to God. He has given it to us that we might serve him with all of our might. And we understand stewardship when it comes to budgeting our finances. We talk about being given all the things that we have for God's glory. And we budget our time, budget our money. We know how to spend you know, our money the right way in order to glorify the Lord. And it's a very similar thing with our time, with a very distinct difference, beloved, When we run out of time, there is no getting another job to earn the time back. There is no saving of time. There is no uh, buying time. There is no recycling of time. The time that we have is fixed and fleeting, which is why the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, make the best use of the time, for the days are evil. The second thing we could say is that because God is the one who has given us the the time and it's for his glory, we live that time out before his face. And in our experience, how we experience life as we use the time that he has given us correlates to our relationship with him. See what it says in our psalm. He says, "Uh." We have 80 years, or 70 years, or by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. Why are they under toil and trouble? Verse 9, all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. Why are we brought to to an end? Verse 7, because we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you our secret sins, in the light of your presence. Beloved, this is the truth of God's word, is that all of the affliction that we face, all of the frustration that we face in work, in school, in life, in relationships, everything that is painful and sad and mournful is a direct result of sin. This was not God's design. In that We are under a curse as a result of the first sin. But understand this, beloved. What Moses is saying is that we even now, in a present reality as God's people, live out our lives. All of our days pass away under his wrath. We are brought to end by his anger. There is a present reality of God's anger and wrath at sin in general. But your you're my sin in particular. And Moses asks this question, verse 11, who considers the power of your anger or the wrath according to the fear of you? Well, that's a very good question. Have you considered the power of God's anger? Have you reflected on the fact that all the interpersonal relationship struggles that you have, all the workplace issues, all the futility of your life, the pain, the suffering, the agony, the, the fear of death, the sickness, the aches and pains, all the things that you face are as a result of God's anger. It's evidence of God's anger towards sin. We are under We are experiencing the fruit of his anger. And there is a power that pushes us towards the grave. And it is wise for us to consider that, to understand that power and its effects. And yet, beloved, the other part of living our days, our hours before our Lord is that God is compassionate to us he remembers that we are dust he has pity on us that's what it says in verse 13 he says return O lord how long have pity on your servants love it in the midst of god's anger and wrath there is grace and there is hope because he has compassion on us and he loves us and he speaks of gladness and satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. There's affliction and gladness. There's seeing evil and rejoicing. There's fruitfulness because of God's power. Let your favor be upon us and establish the work of our hands. And beloved, I tell you the truth, that is why Jesus Christ came. Jesus Christ came for us to redeem us so that we could use our time for his glory and so that we might experience joy and gladness in, a, in, a, in the midst of the affliction and wrath. But even greater than that, beloved, the, the coming of Jesus Christ is a perfect mirroring of the steadfast love of our Lord and his eternal and powerful and holy wrath. Because God so loved the world that he gave his Son. Why? Gave him as to be a sacrifice. Gave him to be the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Take, to, to, to be the sacrifice who would endure the perfection of God's holy wrath. To be afflicted with the affliction that we feel to take our sins on him so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Would have no fear of death, but would have eternal life. Beloved, we know that verse so well, but do not forget that if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have eternal life now. You have the hope of eternal life. Death has lost its sting for you. But it's not just that, beloved. When, when, when we are given eternal life in Christ Jesus, it's not, that's not just eternal life in the sense of where I'm still alive, I'm not yet, not yet dead. It's life as it was intended to be. The blessedness and gr- of the grace and love of God himself poured out on us. The, the blessedness of being in fellowship with him and experiencing all the joy of being in union with him. And that's why Jesus came, to give us that eternal life. But that's but what's more, that's why Jesus gave us his spirit, so that we could experience the beginning of that blessedness even now. There is gladness and joy even now, not just in eternity, but now, in the midst of the affliction, for all the days that we have seen evil. And what... What that means, beloved, how we are taught to, to live and to number our days, to live with wisdom, means we must live in Christ Jesus with the, the power of his life reigning within us. Which means that we look to him and follow his example. The Lord Jesus Christ came to be like us and was perfect in his use of time. His life was cut short. He didn't see 70 years or, by reason of strength, 80. He was cut short out of the land of the living. His days were numbered, and yet he made the most of every opportunity. He, was, he never sinned, not even once. And so to live in him means to have his Spirit living within us, which means to control our thinking and to drive how we live as we seek to be wise. And so as we look to him, there's a few things that we can see that can shape how we live wisely as we seek to use our, our time to his glory. The first was Jesus had a, a contr- his controlling interest of his life, the center of his life, every impulse of his life, was to seek the will of the Father. He said, I've come down not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Everything that he did, everything that he said, every impulse of his heart was to please the Father. And as we learn in Titus chapter 2, that is one of the primary reasons why he has saved us. He has saved a people for himself, purifying them, purifying a people who are zealous for good works, zealous to do the will of the Father, or as it says in Ephesians chapter 2, we are not by, saved not by works, but by grace we have been saved, to do good works which God has prepared for us to do. Because, beloved, doing the works of God, doing what God calls us to do, is evidence of our faith. We are saved not by works, but by faith. But the works are evidence of that. Jesus said, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but who? He who does the will of my Father in heaven. And what is the will of his Father? That we would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But what does it mean to believe? It means to trust in him and to let his life live through us, and to reorganize our calendars, our schedules, so that every impulse of our hearts is to please the Father. Our life and our time is given to us for glorifying and enjoying the Lord and to set him before us always. Another thing we can learn from the life of Jesus is that um, this use of time is pursuing God's favor, pursuing fellowship with him early and daily, early and daily. We know from the life of Jesus that even as a young boy, he spent time in the temple talking with the instructors, the teachers of the law, asking questions, seeking to understand God's will. Here was the very word of God incarnate, and he made it his goal to learn the will of God that would fuel his ministry, his understanding, his devotion to the Lord. We see throughout the Gospels he spent time in prayer regularly in the morning, in the evening with his disciples on his own. It was a daily devotion to him. And here in our passage he says um, in verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Beloved, Being in Christ Jesus is not a part-time job. It's not a part of our life that we compartmentalize to Sunday morning or any part of our lives. Being in Christ is the foundation for the whole of our lives. It is our very life. That is what eternal life is. That is what salvation is, is reorganizing every priority of our life. To be in Christ Jesus. Everything else becomes secondary to pursuing the glory of the Lord. This is why we were created. Not for ourselves, but for the Father, for the love of God. And each day, distinct and individual as it is, we need to be reminded of God's love and His grace, of His forgiveness each day we need to be re-centered in him each day we need to confess our sins because we forget each and every day it, it never seems to fail no matter how many days i'm consistent in my prayer life no matter how many days i'm consistent in reading god's word meditating on his love for me really appropriating for me i will forget in an instant I'll forget in an instant no matter how many times i seek to put to death those sins i've got more to confess it never ends. It's a daily thing to grow in fellowship with the Lord. And he says, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Or our song says, Early let, let us seek thy favor, early let us seek thy will. Beloved, there, there is wisdom in that. I you know some people. React strongly about the idea of having to do morning devotions or spending time in the morning. You don't know me. I'm not a morning person. My mornings are busy. I understand. But there's wisdom in that. What we do in the morning sets the course of our entire day. Test the Lord in this. Test the Lord. To Seek him in the morning and ask him, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Oh, beloved, how would that condition your day if you were satisfied in the morning with God's steadfast love for you? If in the morning you were reminded that you were a forgiven child of the living God, that you have the spirit of Christ Jesus working in you, that he has given you a power of self-control and love, Empower to live out your day, to love is the way that you should love, to love Him, to love those people around you. Oh, beloved, test Him in this. And what's more, growing in grace takes time. So much of the Christian life, beloved, takes time. We understand this when it comes to learning some skill. Like you want to learn an instrument, it's daily practice. You know, you may have a bad practice today, but you keep at it day after day. And over time, You grow, you see advancement, or you want to learn an athletic skill. It takes time. We understand that. So does the Christian faith, beloved. The Lord, it is a daily feeding on Christ, a daily growing in fellowship with him, a daily humbling. Beloved, do you see the need to make it a priority? How can you make it a priority in your life? How can, you make, how can you be intentional with centering your life on Christ Jesus? How can you make seeking God's favor, being fed with him, being in fellowship with him in prayer, putting it into practice, how can you make that a non-negotiable of each and every day? I encourage you to ask God for this. This is a prayer, beloved. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Make us glad. Let your work be shown to your service. Let your favor be upon us and establish the work of our hands. That's a good prayer. That's a prayer worth praying. And God answers this prayer. A third thing that I would say is, um, we are we are called throughout Scripture to evaluate how we use our time, how we focus, and be discerning, and to remove what is unnecessary or un- unhelpful, and to make to make time for that which is good. In Isaiah, the Lord said, "Why?" It, the Lord always speaks with these pleading terms. He he sets forth his his rich feast of blessing, and he says, but he says he says, "Come and take it," and then he says. Why, why do you spend your money on that which is not bread? Why, why do you spend your labor on that which doesn't satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. That's the way our God operates. He says, I am the fount of all blessing. Come to me. Feed on me. Find purpose in me. Find satisfaction in me. Where Paul said this same thing in romans he, he said he's he's looking at the believer who has a life of sin behind and and but these believers are continuing to to live in their sin he's like well, he says what what fruit were you getting at that time by the things which you're now ashamed? The end of those things is death look at look at that that life why are you why are you thinking about going back to that what was the, what was the benefit you got he says The things that you have now by the Spirit give life, give sanctification, point to its end, eternal life, feast on that. And Jesus spoke of true food, true treasure. He said it was, he said, said, Jesus said, my true food is to accomplish the will of him who sent me. And for us, that true food is to understand what it means for us to be in Christ and to use our time for his glory. Beloved, what are the habits, what are the activities that you need to remove from your schedule to make time for the things that really matter? Let me put it to you another way. We don't know the day or the hour that the Lord will call us before his throne, But we do know for certain that we will stand, each one of us, before the judgment seat of Christ. And we will give an account for everything that we have done. And what I would ask you is, as you look at 2023 and how you used your time, are you confident to stand before your Lord to make an accounting for how you have used your time? And if not, what do you need to remove in order to make way for the things that the Lord has been laying on your heart? How he would have you spend your time. Beloved, that is the spirit of Christ at work within you. He is at work within your conscience. Listen to what the Lord says to you. Be instructed by his word and put it into practice. The spirit of him who enabled Christ Jesus to perfectly live out his life is at work within you to instruct you and to empower you. So put it into practice. I urge you to do so. And of course, beloved, when we draw near to Christ, that does not mean that we that life will be easy or that it will make it will be easy to, to even draw near to him. In fact, we can look to the Lord Jesus to see that his life was of unspeakable affliction. He saw evil poured out upon himself as he was unjustly accused and unjustly put to death. But he did so, beloved, for the joy of was set before him he endured the cross and that's the secret is that our God has given us a hope a hope that is in Christ Jesus and that's how we can say make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil we will see evil we will continue to be afflicted but we can have gladness and joy in this life because of the hope of of eternal life in Christ Jesus, and because we have the deposit of that grace living within us even now. Beloved, this is the gift that God gives to his people in Christ Jesus. Do you know this gladness? Do you know this joy that is despite our circumstances, in the midst of the affliction, in the midst of the evil, do you have that gladness and joy in Christ Jesus? Beloved, he offers it To you, More than that, he promises you that if you would only listen to him, he would pour upon you his richest blessings. This is what he said in Psalm 81. He said, Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of the wheat. And with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. Brothers and sisters, your Savior stands ready to pour out upon you his richest blessings. Do you trust him enough to come and to feed on him and to live in him and to feast in him, beloved? If we do, if we do, when we do, he will satisfy us with his steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. He will make us glad for as many days as he has afflicted us. He will show his work to us and his glorious power. His favor will be upon us. He will establish the work of our hands. He will give rest for our souls and our hope, eternal life, blessed forever in his presence and rejoicing in him. Amen and amen, beloved. This is our God. Believe in his promises, for they are true. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you speak to us and you seek to instruct us. Lord, I pray that you would give us a heart of wisdom, and not just to receive it and be instructed and to walk away unchanged. Lord, would you please transform us through the renewing of our minds that we might love you not just with our minds, but with our whole heart and soul and strength, every part of our being. Oh, Lord, you are glorious and majestic, and we love you. Thank you for being our God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.